Shane, HMX Henry here, introducing you guys to episode 21 of the Harmonics Community Podcast. Welcome. This podcast is officially old enough to drink now. Yay! Yay! In this episode, we will be featuring um, a Harmonics game developer interview with one and only Doug Applewhite. Um, he used to work for Industrial Light and Magic, um, and he loves MASH. I don't know if they talk about either of those things in the interview. But you'll have to listen to find out. You also get to talk with the lead singer of In This Moment, Maria Brink. Hopefully she talks about the movie Brink, which is a personal favorite. I don't know if that happens. You should listen and find out. <laughs> Finally, DLC Roundtable. What's the DLC? You've got to listen to find out. Enjoy. So welcome to another segment of So You Want to Be a Game Developer. Uh, today I am joined by one of our illustrious engineers, Doug Applewhite. How you doing, Doug? I'm good. How you doing, Pope? I'm good. So for this segment, as uh, you know, we like to give our listeners uh, a peek into how different harmonics people got here, what they do, and how the listeners can get into the similar positions in the industry. So what did you do before you get to harmonics? Um, before I worked here, I worked at Turbine, which is another Boston area video game company, and I was an engineer there on Lord of the Rings Online. Um, so I guess I've been a software engineer for ugh, 13 years now <laughs> out in the world. Let's let's talk about one of those first jobs that you know I want you to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I started life out right out of college as a technical assistant at Industrial Light and Magic. That's George Lucas's special effects house. And... Worked there for a bit and then turned into a software engineer there, and I got to work on such little indie films as Star Wars The Phantom Menace. <laughs> so that's where I cut my teeth, and I, yeah, once upon a time I was a graphics engineer and did mostly graphics, and I, I left ILM and was self-employed for maybe five years doing graphics plugins, mostly for After Effects and Final Cut Pro and those sorts of things. Then I got suckered, I will say, by a friend who worked at Turbine into like, hey, come help us out. Come work for Turbine for a little bit. <laughs> and I respectfully declined their full-time offer and worked only three days a week there. But uh, one of the things I got to work on there, which was awesome, was the player music system. And that's where it's a big MMO, if you don't know it. So it's a massively multiplayer game where thousands of people are all playing at the same time you see each other running by and you can work together on quests or you can ignore each other completely and the player music system let your character actually equip a lute or a drum or a harp or a flute or those sort of middle earth appropriate instruments and play and you can play whatever you wanted you could actually turn your desktop keyboard into a keyboard and play notes and play something on the fly you could sort of pre-record something and have it play it back like a player piano and you could even synchronize across multiple people. So you could be on drums, and I could be on the on the uh, the lute, which is like an old guitar, and we could be jamming in Middle Earth while people would run by and hear that. With someone from across the globe. Yep, yep, someone from anywhere on this planet, or <laughs> possibly the space station, listening in and running by, and they could join in if they wanted to and jam, or what have you. have Lotro in the space station? <laughs> I don't know if they have Wi-Fi up there. Mine doesn't reach that far, so probably not. Um, and so that was a ton of fun, and it just it really sort of, I guess... I'm not much of a musician personally, so I don't know how I ended up with that system at Turbine, <laughs> nor how I ended up here, but it sort of, I, you know, I was working there and just, I guess, wanted to try something else, and I know Harmonix was an awesome place to work for through the grapevine, and so I came and interviewed here, and obviously I had somewhat of a video games and music connection going on from Turbine, and sort of leveraged that in my interview, 
to sneak in here. This seems like a pretty perfect like background to get here. If you're not a musician, like you specifically worked in a music system for a video game, which is what Harmonix Music Systems does. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe my first week or two here, uh, Nord, who is, I guess, producer, lead designer, whatever you, on RBN, came and asked me about the Lotro music system of like, how does that work? Not that it would be any way applicable in the end to how Rock Band Network worked, but just curious about synchronizing network music and yeah. um, that sort of thing. So yeah, it was definitely a great stepping stone into coming to work for Harmonix, where obviously music makes the game. Trademark. So, okay. So you joined the engineering department. Um, we haven't actually had too many people on the podcast up to now uh, talk about the engineering department at Harmonix, unfortunately. So what? Give us a, give us a, a peek into the engineering department. It's headed up by our illustrious CT, uh, CTO, Aron Agozi, co-founder. Indeed. Um, do you get, set the scene? What what's it like in the engineering department? All right. Um, it's not a bunch of jerk nerds <laughs> who think we're smarter than everyone else and who work with ones and zeros. Um, it's not, gosh, you say. It is oh. not that. <laughs> Note to self. Some of us very, you know, actually have social skills. Some <laughs> of us are in bands. Some of us are married. Um, it's shocking, I know. But we, how do you describe it for those who don't know? I mean, we are the ones who implement the game. So at a super, super high level, designers dream and come up with brilliant ideas. They effectively hand it off to the engineers to actually make it happen. So programming the computer, telling the computer what to do, telling the console in this case, how to deal with what this design is. And it's, we present all that. Obviously we stub in some sort of art, the artists come in and make it beautiful. Um, QA comes in and finds all the problems we have and yells at us for them. Audio comes in and makes it sound beautiful but we're sort of, in a way, the, the foundation of that. And so we, at a high level, told what to do, and then we do it, and then we get told we did it wrong, and then we fix it, and then eventually it ships. So when, you guys sort of create the skeleton and muscle system of, of, the, of the game, and then, like, other groups come in and make it pretty and stuff. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you, yeah sure. We give it the body, design gives it a brain, audio gives it a mouth. Oh, I like that. Art makes it look pretty, and then, you know, QA gives it standardized testing, and then uh, we let it out in the world for you guys to play with. I love how the analogy held up until QA. It was just, and then it, yeah, QA state, pokes and prods tests. and eye chart and sound charts. SATs. And, you know, yeah, SATs and, you know, knee reflexes with the hammer and that sort of thing, so... So what groups are there within engineering? Yeah, so engineer itself is divvied up into some number of groups, which I will count as I go. <laughs> there is a engine team, which is sort of the very bottom of the, the system networking, like they sort of do the low level graphics, the sort of the communication of the game, very basic, basic building blocks. There is a separate networking team, which does Rock Central, manages how two consoles talk to each other, or two con a console talks to our central servers. There is the shell team, meta slash shell team. We call it the shell because it's sort of everything you see in the game, but the game itself. The menus. And all all the menus, the, the world tour, the um, music library, as we call it, like all that sort of stuff is the shell team. Then there's the game team, which is what I'm on. And we're the ones who do sort of everything but the shell. So all the actual gameplay. So once you've chosen a song and launched into the game, that's where we come in and we deal with taking the authoring that our audio department has created, turn it into actual gameplay, figuring out did you swing, did you hit a gem, did you miss, what pitch are you singing, did you hit a note, 
what effects get triggered at what time, scoring all that metric, keeping statistics to eventually cough up to the shell team to display and possibly get an achievement score. And you specifically, one of the one of the first tasks you were given was creating or being I don't know if it was just you or others creating the harmony system for Beatles Rock Band. Yep, uh, yeah, I own the vocal system. So to each person in a group, usually we divvy things up so that you know I'm the one who owns vocals more or less, and other people own you know the guitar or the drums or the interface or what have you. And we divvy it up. So yeah, I own the vocals, and for the Beatles Rock Band, I was tasked with making harmony work. So again, the designers say, hey, we want to have three singers because the Beatles are all about harmony, so we want to represent in the game. So let's have three singers. Go! <laughs> Something totally new. Yeah. Make it happen. And obviously there's a lot of go between between audio and the designers and engineering and QA of like what works, what doesn't, because that was very much a moving target. We didn't know what we were doing. For a time, it might have been pick apart. Lead, okay, done, you're lead. You can't do anything right. but lead. Okay, you pick Harmony 1, you pick Harmony 2, done, finished. But instead, what design sort of tasked us with was, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if you could sing whatever you want at any given time and just shift between them on the fly and the game figures it out? Yeah. I, as an engineer, am the person who's telling the game how to figure that out. So it's sort of like you have three parts with three pitches, you have up to three singers with their three pitches, throw it into a barrel, figure out who's scored against what, figure that out. And that's sort of where I come in. And in my world, it all turns into math. It's all these different numbers. And okay, how does this number relate to that number? What's closer? What's better? What have you sung in the past? What makes us decide what you're going to sing in the future? How do we keep you on a part? And, and then show it all. I th It speaks to what I love about engineering, that it's, here's a problem. Solve it. You know, design doesn't care how hard it is. They just say, this would be fun. This would be awesome. This is what we want. Make it happen. And it's like, oof, and there's usually a million ways to skin a cat. And it's like, how can we do this? And we have to do it in time for the game. We have to do it such that it's maintainable, such that it works, such that it doesn't make it the game crawl because it's too complicated. And so there's lots of constraints. But within that, it's really fun to like, how do you solve these problems? And for Harmony in particular, it was great fun to be, OK, here's something that works. Let's try it. And we'd sing some songs. And we'd sing, like, hey, this works great. You know, it works great on boys, but I want to hold your hand. It has this really weird case where it's like it's never like it's ambiguous up until a point, And then we can't even know what to do because we had no data up until then. It's like, what do we do? It's like, hmm. And you think about it and you try to figure it out. And then you get to go and like throw, throw an answer at it, throw a solution at it, and see if it works. And it's just so fun to iterate on that and then in the end create something. If you were to give advice on anyone listening who wants to get into game development, um, maybe from your experience specifically as an engineer, mm -hmm. or just in anything in general that you might think of, what advice would you give? So you want to be a game engineer. <laughs> I would say definitely, duh, say in school. You know, get that degree because you need to have some sort of proof that you can do these sorts of things. Um, for harmonics in particular, and basically every company I've ever heard of, there's an interview process. And that interview process isn't just like, are you a nice person or not? <laughs> it gets into gory details of, yeah. hey, you know, I have this very specific problem. Solve it right now in front of me. And you have to be able to think on the fly and sort of be familiar with it. So go get your degree because that's something you put on your piece of paper and say, look, proof. Beyond that, it's be, I guess in a word, be curious and do stuff. I did, a, like, I like probably every engineer I program a lot on my own I just do things for fun and I screw around and one of the projects that you were involved with that I think some people might know and correct me if I'm wrong was the magic bullet yep 
So that is a, a plugin for After Effects, right? Yeah, well, for lots of things now. And yeah, it was originally born to make interlaced video, 30 frames per second, which looks very documentary and cheap, look like 24 frames progressive, which so is very filmy. Like film, yeah. And for a dirt cheap camcorder, make it look a lot more like a really expensive film camera. Which is funny, because I remember, so in college, I was in a sketch comedy group, and, and uh, we used that. Mm-hmm. So I knew of this. I never did, I never actually applied it myself or anything, but I knew of the program because everyone was like, oh, Magic Bullet's like, it's amazing. It's making all our stuff look so much better. Cool. And then I met you. I was like, wait a minute. My world's coming together. Um, so that's that's a cool example of something that, and that was, that, that wasn't for a job or anything, right? That was... Uh... No, that, that was, I was sort of under contract with a production house at the time who owns it and I freelance for him. Gotcha. But like that original version was written by me for that and it's the same sort of thing of like make video look better and there was obviously artists who had ideas of like this is specifically what looks bad make it better and stuff but it's again how to implement that but i think it's just do what you love and sort of the rest will follow like you like you know if you're listening to this and you want to be an engineer you're already on the path so (laughs) go home and write a program write some stupid little application write some little javascript thing in your your web browser write an iPhone application that you never sell just for your own fun because you never know when it's going to be applicable later and you're just going to screw around and have fun and learn something and it's something A you can put in the resume B you can talk about in an interview and C it shows that you have like initiative and you'll solve problems on your own so it's really kind of do what you love and I mean I think the perfect analogy is with like a musician it's like oh you want to be a musician you want to be in a band you want to be you know work for harmonics as a musician go write music yeah. go record music go practice perform for it. 10 years and yeah it's practice <laughs> and I distinctly remember growing up and having forced to take piano lessons and being like oh I hate this <laughs> and hearing about people who would go home and practice for like four hours a day and they would love it and I was like oh my god I can't imagine sitting down for four hours a day yeah. just doing the same damn thing over and over again shoot me now I'm gonna go play <laughs> on the computer <laughs> and I'd go play on the computer for four hours a day and that was effectively my practice like it's the exact analogy of i I've written and done stupid things I can't even remember to tell you about, and I never saved them. They never amounted to anything, but they they taught me things. They learned, you know, they sharpened your acumen. Like, you know, how many songs have a musician made or sang or written a bridge to or a little, like, a lyric, you know, chorus, you know, chorus lyrics, and then just done, never did it again. But you just, you work that muscle and you just get better at it. So just do what you love, keep doing it, experiment, try wacky things. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for joining us. Sure. I can get back to work. Yeah, let's go get back to work. (laughs) Back to the salt mine. second song um, on the rock band platform out right now you previously had a DLC track forever 
And now you have the song Mechanical Love out on Rock Band Network, and that's from your album The Dream, correct? Correct, yeah. Cool. So that's awesome. Do any of you guys play Rock Band? I played it before, actually, to Forever, and it was super funny. And I was, like, drinking, so I sounded, I was messing up and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. But I had the ter- yeah, <laughs> but uh, I was like, this is me, and I'm getting a bad score right now, because I had, like, a few drinks in me, so it was mm-hmm. funny, and all my friends were making fun of me. Did you did you take vocals, or did you, like, put yourself like, behind the drum kit or something in, for a rock band? No, I was just doing vocals, my friends wanted me to, so they were all doing the other instruments, and we were just having a fun time. Cool. Has anyone gotten a chance to play Mechanical Love yet? No, not that I know of. Um, I've been so busy and traveling and all this stuff, so I, I, I didn't even, I haven't had a chance to uh, hear it or anything on there. So now I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. So what have you guys been up to? I know you guys are pretty, like, you guys seem to tour almost constantly. So what have you been up to lately? Um, we just recorded our new album, which is called The Starcross Wasteland, a few months ago, and it comes out this up and coming July 13th. Um, and then we're starting the uh, Mayhem Festival uh, tomorrow, actually, which is, um, it's like 12 bands, and it's Rob Zombie, Corn, Five Finger Death Punch, Lamb of God, and a bunch of other great bands. So uh, we'll be touring all summer right when the album comes out, and we'll be meeting people and fans every day. We're going to go do signings every day, and so we will be very busy from here on out. Awesome, yeah. I have my fingers crossed that we'll hopefully be at Mayhem. I look forward to it every oh. year. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. We did work Tour last year, and they had, like, rock band setups and, like, things like that and, like, little tents in the area. So it'd be cool if they had that stuff at Mayhem, but I guess not. Yeah, I think we, m- <laughs> we might be there just with our dinky camera and our recording equipment um, and our little press credentials bugging people for interviews and saying hi. Um, oh, that's cool. You, c- you can come find me. <laughs> yay, yay. We can, do a, we can do a part two follow-up. Yeah. Like, tour diaries. Um, so yeah. So cool. So I read, I was reading that um, A Star-Crossed Wasteland is a little bit darker than your previous album. Can you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, um, just going into the album itself, I was a bit in a darker place and a little bit more of an emotional place in the following album. And and, um, so it definitely is darker and it has a darker overtone and it has a heavier overtone, but there's still a lot of melodic in there too. I think this album uh, truly, I think, is our defining album. I think we came up with the perfect kind of formula and kind of mix of what our defining sound is, uh, mixing everything correctly and it all flows really naturally between the heavy and the melodic. That's awesome. Um, one thing a lot of our fans comment on uh, who've, who've played your tracks is that you have like this amazing metal scream, but then you have these incredible like clean vocals too. And a couple of fans wanted to know how do you how do you train your voice? How do you keep your voice in shape, especially when you're out on the road? Um, I don't know how I keep my scream. Don't lose my voice when I scream a lot. But I think I just learned how to correctly use uh, my diaphragm and my stomach for my big screams, and then I use more um, my vocal cords and my voice itself for more of the singing stuff. And I think I just do it so much that I've created my voice has become really strong. You know, because it's like a, a muscle. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it night after night and touring and stuff, uh, I think it just naturally gets stronger with time. Mm-hmm. I noticed on Warped Tour last year you guys um, came out in the circle pits quite a few times. Do you think there will be any chance you'll be jumping off the Mayhem stage and doing that again? Um, I don't think that 
mayhem is going to be, you know, those crowds are like five to 10,000 people. And mm-hmm. I don't think we have even enough time to get down into that crowd because we only get exactly a half hour. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we'd even have time to try to get out there and really even make that happen. Uh, I wish we could if we had more time. But I am going to try to do like all girl kind of big circle pit things. So we'll see how it goes. I- I'm going to try to make the whole crowd open up a big circle and let all the girls in and kind of do their own thing and circle pit. So. We'll see if there's enough girls, A, and B, if, <laughs> if, if they get the courage to do it. Because they did it on Warp Tour, so we'll see if uh, they do it on Mayhem. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of how you guys, how the whole band comes together to, to put together an album? We all just really bring our own individual things, and we just find a way to kind of collaborate what everyone's bringing to the table uh, together. I mean, everyone really just does bring their own elements. So it just will start off with they'll write some stuff, and then I'll come in and I'll start doing vocals. And sometimes I write songs, um, like a Starcross Wasteland on piano, and then they come in and they kind of surround it with all of their music. So there's really all different types of techniques we use, but for we do for some way we really all do um, put into the writing process, though. Cool. And can you tell us a little bit about where the title A Starcross Wasteland comes from? Um, it's kind of a darker fairy tale story um, about like my own personal experiences put into this kind of metaphorical story of it's supposed to be kind of like a post-apocalypse wasteland world uh, where there's only a few survivors and they're kind of looking for other people and looking for new beginnings and looking for new life in this kind of um, dark kind of dead world and it's supposed to symbolize um, kind of that sometimes we all have to lose uh, things in our life, uh, lose the love of our life, uh, lose people by, you know, with death. And sometimes it takes having to go into a solitude world of, you know, wasteland, a world where things feel dark in, in order to truly find who we are and find what defines us as a per- person and find, you know, who we are by ourselves, not by having somebody else define who we are. And I think from there, you can begin a whole new life and all new beginnings and, you know, as a new person. So sometimes dark things and loss and death and heartbreak can actually make us the strongest people we can be, you know? Mm -hmm. Are there any tracks in particular on the album that that express that theme pretty well or any tracks that you feel like especially invested in? Um, I think I love A Star-Crossed Wasteland and uh, World in Flames um, and Standing Alone, I think, would be the three that would kind of represent the whole kind of meaning behind the album. Mm-hmm. Cool. And is there any place that fans will be able to get a preview of the album before they buy it? Um, well, there's like, if you go on, on our MySpace page, we have some songs up. And also on YouTube, they have like clips of different songs so people can kind of get a little preview here and there of, mm-hmm. of what the album is going to sound like. Cool. And you just released a video for The Gun Show, which is th- from that album as well, right? Yeah. Cool. And can you tell us a little bit about, I watched that video yesterday. It's um, it's amazing. I loved it. Can, okay. you tell, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about, about the concept of, of it? I think I was reading that you were involved with sort of the idea for like the, the Western wardrobe. Invo- um. Yeah. Well, when I think of that kind of apocalyptic world that we were just talking about, mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic world, it kind of think of the old world kind of starting all over again, kind of this desert Western feel. And that's kind of where the cowgirl and cowboy thing kind of came in. But that song just kind of represents self-respect, I, I think, and self-strength and 
uh, being able to look anybody else in the, in the eye and not being afraid to fight for whatever it is you want to fight for and believe in whatever it is you want to uh, believe in. And I'm kind of singing it in kind of a metaphor of like a showdown, old Western kind of way. Um, uh, but that's what it's mainly about. And so in the video, you know, it's a bunch of cowgirls, and we got I'm holding a shotgun, and they all got some weapons. And it's just about inner strength and, and, and not being able be, – not being afraid to fight for what you believe in, basically. Awesome, awesome. Are there um, – is there any chance that you think the gun show might make its way to rock bands? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I don't know the logistics of what songs they do accept or don't accept or, you know, things like that. But I'm hoping that a song from uh, Starcross Wasteland gets on there, obviously, for sure. So I'm not sure what song they'll wind up picking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's got to be a fun rocking one uh, for sure because people want to rock out and have fun. So maybe it'll fall into that. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. One thing I liked about the gun show is, um, to me as an outsider looking in, it's like, it's a really fun, like, really great song, but you can definitely see some of your influences. I mean, you can see the influence of, of bands like Pantera a little bit in the sound of it. Who are, um, who, who would you say are some of your biggest musical influences personally? And then who, um, for you guys as a group of artists, who, who are your influences? Um, you know, we're all, it, it's, it, it, you couldn't even say just a few people because we're all so different and we're all, musically influenced by such different types of music, but I'm influenced by all music. I mean, that's the honest-to-God truth, from one side of the rainbow to the other. I listen to uh, really mellow music, electronical music, atmospheric music, you know, I listen to Johnny Cash, but then, of course, like, I love Pantera, Deftones is my favorite band in the world, um, so I'm really influenced just by depending on the mood I'm in and what type of music that I'm going to listen to, but I definitely have been influenced by, you know, Phil Anselmo and, and Chino from Deftones tones and um, those are some of my favorite singers and uh, women rise uh, women wise Lisa Lisa Gerard is uh, probably my favorite woman singer she's the singer for Dead Can Dance and she sung on the uh, Gladiator soundtrack and she's mm -hmm. just got this powerful profound voice that like blows my mind away but um, but yeah again so I'm really so influenced by everything it really just depends on my mood that I'm in Cool. That actually sort of ties in um, to another fan question I have for you. Um, this is from one of the fans on our site, rockband.com, and they want to know, what is it like to be a, I'm not sure what this means, what is it like to be a woman in metal? I mean, people always ask that, and it's always kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I guess they ask that because maybe there's not, you know, there's not. There always hasn't been tons and tons of women in metal, but um, I love rock and roll. I love metal. I think our band is definitely a – we have a lot of different um, – because we're a metal band and we're a rock band, and we write really melodic, pretty stuff too, so we're kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But um, I love the attitude of metal. I love the – you know, to me, metal music kind of represents – uh, a certain release that you can only get in that specific type of music, this certain kind of strength, this certain power, this certain um, kind of against the everyday kind of conforming that everybody does in life attitude, you know, just kind of not being afraid to just let loose and scream and stomp your feet around because sometimes I mean you need that in your life to release stuff or because if you hold it in you're going to freaking go crazy and like shoot up your job or something I don't mm -hmm. know what so I think it, it is really important and it, it it I feel powerful 
I feel um, really appreciative to be a part of the music scene and the metal world, and I feel happy. Cool. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you, and then we'll probably wrap up. Um, one question for, for those listening who aren't really familiar with In This Moment, you guys got started, I mean, you guys got to where you are today by a lot of sheer just hustle and being really great at, at promotion and being really savvy about, like, things like, you know, m making a name for yourself on, on, like, promotion sites like MySpace. Do you have any advice for bands that are just starting out who are trying to get themselves into a, partic a particular scene? Yeah, I mean, just nowadays, it's all about the internet, and it's all about touring, you know? I mean, album sales and albums themselves are just depleting day by day, and there probably won't even be CDs in 10 years, you know? It's probably really going to come down to being all about the internet and all about the live touring show, you know? Bands who just try to survive off of uh, CDs and um, radio and stuff, it's like they're going to have a whole new world, I think, when they realize it's going to come down to touring and it's going to come down to the live show. So I think those people should really use the Internet tools as much as possible. I mean, that's how we got started, you know. Mm -hmm. We use the Internet to really work hard and get fans, and we started touring before we even had a record label um, interest. We just said we were going to go out there, and, and we started getting fans on the Internet all by ourselves. So not being afraid to be independent and and work the Internet as much as possible and just find their own true identity within themselves, not trying to just conform and sound like everybody else because you think that's what's going to make you get big. I think finding something special within yourself that separates you from everybody else type thing. Cool. Awesome. And then this is probably my last question. Um, okay. Do you have anything you'd like to say to all of your fans who are buying your songs in rock bands? Yeah, just that we appreciate everyone and we, we love all of our fans so deeply and that we never, you know, we don't have a day pass by that we don't realize and know that if we didn't have fans that believed in us and believed in our music, we wouldn't be able to do what it is we do every day. And we don't take that for granted. And, you know, after every show, we go shake hands, we take pictures, we hang out with our fans. And just thank you very much. And we appreciate everybody. And um, we'll keep believing in them if they keep believing in us. Awesome. Thank you, Maria, so much for taking time out to chat with us and tell us um, about your upcoming Mayhem dates and your new album. And again, um, just so people know, when, when does A Star-Crossed Wasteland come out in stores? July 13th. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. people because everyone's on the road it's a triangle it's, a triangle. it's the dlc <laughs> trinity <laughs> right right now so we have myself hmx drop slash and our fabulous intern uh jessa <laughs> jessa hmx jessa Brez. we're here to talk about the five tracks that we have coming at you guys next week be sure hmx henry's not here right now but he's writing up a pretty sweet zine article about these guys so be sure you also check out his write-up because it'll have a lot of cool facts 
and other insights that you may not get here from us, even though we like the bands too. So next week we have coming at you two tracks from Bad Religion. We have New Dark Ages and No Control. We have three tracks from Iggy Pop and the Stooges, 1969, I Wanna Be Your Dog, and No Fun. This DLC trifecta will not be no fun. You need to speak up. I do. Sorry. <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about bad religion. First. Yes, let's talk about bad religion here, first because I am thrilled that we're getting more bad religion. I am really excited. Here is a fun fact: the first big, huge arena concert I ever went to was to see Bad Religion. That's pretty awesome. It's a lot cooler than mine. What was yours? Spice Girls. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. An even weirder fact is the first show I ever went to. I snuck into an underage club when I was in high school to see a local band called T-10 that uh, one of our producers here at Harmonix, who was a year ahead of me in high school, was actually in. <laughs> and I was friends with a bunch of his friends. So like when I got to Harmonix, I hadn't seen this person in probably 15 years. And I was like, huh, so weird. This seems so, to have been a lot here, though. Yeah. I've yeah. had so people like, oh, I went to high school with this other Harmonix person, and then I, I met them here. Yeah, so like all like this time later. Weird small magnet world. Yeah. So I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty stoked about this week. Five songs, but it's five pretty amazing songs by pretty amazing bands. Yeah. I mean everybody like if you play rock band a lot and especially like if you just like any kind of like punk style music, like you have to be so excited about Bad Religion. Like that we're just getting more music from Bad Religion. I mean I don't know, it's like against the grain and uh Stranger Than Fiction are like defining albums from growing up for me so mm -hmm. it's anything anything from them is just awesome i'm so excited yeah i was at work tour yesterday i was kind of bummed that they weren't on this year i had a i had a fun experience seeing them play last year <laughs> and the person i was with who had been introduced to bad religion through our game but who had never heard them like seen them live band comes out on stage and the fellow harmonics are with me who shall not be named goes wait wait those are the guys <laughs> Wait, that's them? They look like my dad. And I was like, and that's what makes it awesome is they're going to come out here and rage and like rip the crowd apart and sing all this crazy progressive socially like socially forward thinking punk music and they can still rock it. And yes, they are older and they are some of them in khakis. Yeah, but it's I think they became a band the year I was born and they have a new album coming out this year. Like, in September, I think they have a new album coming out. That's crazy. And you're a wicked old. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that now that Sean is gone, we need a new person to make fun of about their yeah, age. Yeah, the old man of community. <laughs> so, all right. Shall we, uh, shall we move on to Iggy Pop and the Stooges? Sure. More fun facts. Iggy Pop is the narrator of the tutorials in LEGO Rock Band. Which is actually something I didn't know because I've never played through the tutorials of LEGO Rock Band. But now I kind of want it. That was the first thing I did when I got it. Because I, I like, really love Iggy Pop. <laughs> I had no idea. I need to fire up, like, a rock band now and just listen to the tutorials. Yeah, the weird thing is, I got into Iggy Pop in the most backwards way possible. I didn't get into him from, like, listening to Stooges records. I got into him when I was a DJ at my college radio station, and I got a copy of the Skull Ring EP <laughs> to preview on air. And I was like, I mean, I, I came from a small town and, like, didn't really know much about music. And... I remember I'm listening to this record and I was like, this guy's voice is ridiculous. I love it. And so then like it like I went backwards from there. Then I went and like discovered Iggy and the Stooges and started listening to like Funhouse and stuff like that. It's I always think of like Iggy Pop and especially Iggy Pop and the Stooges. It's so like if you if you're not familiar, you're like, oh, like I know who Iggy Pop is. But then mm -hmm. if you go back and you look and you realize the influence that they've had over music has just been 
incredible. It's a whole new viewpoint mm-hmm. on the music they produced. It's un- unbelievable. Plus, Iggy Pop makes just about any movie he's in a hundred <laughs> times better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever seen Coffee and Cigarettes? I think it's a Jim Jarmusch, and it's all vignettes about coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> And my absolute favorite one in the entire film is one that features Iggy Pop and Tom Waits <laughs> talking about how they can each have a cigarette because they've, they've quit. And once you've quit, you can have one. And they just have this really hilarious exchange. And I remember when I was in graduate school, my friend Ben and I were constantly trying to quit smoking. <laughs> and, and it would never last because we'd, all, we'd always look at each other and go, well, now that we've quit. <laughs> I need to see this movie. Why well, haven't I seen this? Oh my god, it's amazing. It's also got a great... One of the vignettes is Bill Murray with the guys from the Wu-Tang Clan. And they're drinking tea, not coffee. And they insist on calling him Bill Murray, like full name. Not Bill, not not Mr. Murray. Bill Murray the entire time. So they'll be like, Bill Murray, what are you doing serving coffee in the diner? That's an interesting fact you just brought up, Bill Murray. Would you like to have a seat, Bill Murray? Oh, new goal. I have to see this film because it sounds amazing. Yeah, every everyone in podcast land should see it because it'll enrich your life tenfold. Speaking of people who influenced, one of the Stooges tracks is I Want to Be Your Dog. Uh, that was covered by Sonic Youth, who's another band who I feel like is was so influential. And people are like, oh yeah, like I know who Sonic Youth is, but don't have any understanding of like the impact they had on music. Yeah, we had a really interesting debate. Do you remember this? At, at lunch one day, we had the debate about whether you could be you could actually be a true Sonic Youth fan and a Billy Joel fan at the same time. <laughs> yes. We usually felt like people had to be one or the other. Yeah, and then Pope got called out for liking both. <laughs> yeah, he stood up. He was proud. He liked both. Um, so, in podcast land, if you have any feedback about these tracks or you've played through them and have any playthrough tips for people, feel free to leave a note in the comments. Or, if you are both a true Billy Joel and Sonic Youth fan, <laughs> I want you to call our Skype mailbox and leave us a voicemail. It's hmx.mailbox on Skype. Anything else, guys? No, but I am really looking forward to hearing from people who are fans of both. (laughs) Yes, we'll see you guys next week. This has been our podcast episode 20-something because I can't remember. Bye! (laughs) Many, many moons ago. (laughs) 